thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through his word. Thy praise confess, yea, of thy word, my tongue would sing, yea, of thy word, my tongue would sing, for thy commands are righteousness. Well, greetings this Lord's Day. From the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lord of Hosts, mighty in battle. Greetings. At the name of Jesus we know that every tongue shall confess, and that every knee shall bow of His Lordship. Amen? Amen? Like the Israelites, we have been given a promised land. Unlike them, the land that we have been given is not small. Uh, it is not a patch of dusty ground in the Middle East. It's the whole world. Everybody say, God has given us the whole world. God has given us the whole world. They would not, and they could not take this land in the way that God told them to do. But unlike them, everybody say, unlike them, them. we will take the land that He has given us. But where is the battle? Is the question today. Our call to worship is from Psalm 109, and it may even be a little bit unpleasant, but it is necessary. We are living in a time of war and conflict and conquest, and there are some necessary unpleasantries that must be uh, discussed and thought about. In Psalm 109, listen to the words of David. Some of them may be even a little bit unsettling for you. Psalm 109, hold not thy peace, O God, from my praise. For the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of deceitful are opened against me, and they have spoken against me with lying tongues. They compassed me out also with words of hatred, and they fought against me without a cause. For my love, they are my adversaries, but I give myself unto prayer. They have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. Set thou a wicked man over him, and let Satan stand at his right hand. When he shall be judged, let him be condemned, and let his prayer become sin. This is a pretty rough prayer, is it not? You know, the Bible says to pray for our enemies. I'm not sure that this is really what that scripture means. Lord, let the devil stand at his right hand. Let when he prays, let it be a sin. This is pretty rough stuff, folks. Let his days be few and let another take his place. Let his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. Let his children be continually vagabonds. Let them be beggars. Let them seek their bread also out of the desolate places. Let the exterior, let the extortioner catch all that he has and let strangers spoil all of his labor. Let there be none to extend mercy to him. Neither let there be any 
to favor his fatherless children. Let his posterity be cut off and the generation following. Let their name be blotted out. It's a pretty rough prayer. Let the iniquity of his fathers be remembered with the Lord. And let not the sin of his mother be blotted out. Let them be before the Lord continually that he may cut off the memory of them from the earth. Because he hath remembered not to show mercy, but persecuted the poor and the needy that he might even slay the broken in heart. As he loved cursing, so let cursing come to him. And as he delighted not in blessing, so let blessings be far from him. As he clothed himself with cursing and with a garment, so let it come into his bowels like water and let like oil into his bones. Let it be unto him as the garment which covers him and for a girdle wherewith he is girded continually. Let this be the reward of my enemy from the Lord and them that speak evil against my soul. But do thou me, O God, the Lord, for thy name's sake, because thy mercy is good. Deliver me, for I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. I am gone like the shadow when it declines, and I am tossed up and down as the locust. My knees are weak through fasting, and my flesh fails of fatness. I become also a reproach unto them. When they looked upon me, they shake their heads. Help me, O Lord God, save me according to thy mercy, that they may know that this is thy hand, that thou, Lord, hast done it. Let them curse, but bless thou. When they arise, let them be ashamed, but let thy servant rejoice. Let mine adversaries be clothed with shame, and let them cover themselves with their own confusion as with a mantle. I will greatly praise the Lord with my mouth, yea, I will praise him among the multitude, for he shall stand at the right hand of the poor to save him from those that condemn his soul. That's a pretty rough prayer today. That is a prayer that God would defeat your enemies, that he would humiliate them, that he would cut them off from the earth. Do you understand the heart of what he's saying? You see, the children of Israel were called to root out the Canaanites out of the land that was given to them by God. And they did not go out uh, in a friendly manner. They tried to destroy him. And so David prayed against them. We're, we are currently in a similar battle, but our battle is not with the Canaanites. Everybody say our battle is not with the Canaanites. As far as you know, you might even be a Canaanite somewhere down the line. Our battle is not with the Canaanites. It's not with the Hittites. It's not with the Philistines. In fact, the Bible says that it's not with any flesh and blood. So let's pray today that we'd get our minds and our hearts focused on where the battle is. Our battle is not with our brother or sister. Our battle is not with the Baptist church or the Presbyterian church or the Catholic church. Our battle, in fact, is not with any man. Our battle is with the satanic powers and principalities that have waged war against us and continue to do so. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we stand before you with no weapons in our hands. Lord, and if we had swords in our hands today, they would be useless to fight in the battle that you have given us. Lord, like you gave the children of Israel, they walked across on the dry land of the Jordan and came across ready to do battle. But Lord, you kept them quiet. Lord, they did not raise their sword against the people there, but instead they walked in obedience around Jericho. Lord God, help us to understand the country that we are taking. Help us to understand the battles 
uh, and the weapons that we need to fight in this great warfare. And help us, O God, to be prepared for the war that we wage every single day as your kingdom comes and your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray and all the church said, Amen. Amen. remain standing for a few more moments as we read our text today. Text of my message is where, or is my title of my message today is called Where is the Battle? And my text comes from Mark chapter 5 verses 1 through 20. In Mark 5, starting in verse 1 says, And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. No man could bind him, not even with chains, because that he had been off bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day he was in the mountains and he was in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus far off, he ran and he worshipped him. He cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was near unto the mountains of the great herd of swine who were feeding. And all the devils besought him saying, send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and they entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. And they were about 2,000 swine. And they were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was done. And they came to Jesus and to see him that was possessed with the devil. And had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they saw it, told it to them how it befell him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. And when he was come into the ship, he had been possessed with the devil, prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but he said unto him, Go home to your friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all the men did marvel. Isn't that a pretty incredible story? Let us pray. Lord God, we love you. We thank you for your kindness and your mercy. And Lord, we thank you for your warnings. Lord, we're living in a great and beautiful world that you've given us, oh God. But it is a world still fraught with great danger. And we pray today that we would be made aware of the danger as we look. To you 
for our safety and our strength and our peace of mind. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now I would like to prepare some of you ahead of time for what we're about to do here. Um, Because I know that some of you um, can find yourself fearful and weak. um, And that's not so bad. Um, Do you know our weaknesses can be used for the glory of God? Okay? Uh, But I don't want you to be afraid. Um, There is nothing to fear. Everybody say, there's nothing to fear. We serve God. If the angel of the Lord encamps about us and we have the great God of heaven dwelling within us and He is the Lord of all, we can look to what we say every week in our... uh, Well, we actually didn't say it today, but we say it normally. Uh, What is our only comfort? Let's say this before we begin. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I belong, body and soul, in life and in death. Not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ who at the cost of his own blood has fully paid for all my sins and has completely freed me from the dominion of the devil. Let's stop there. Let's say that again. And has completely freed me from the dominion of the devil. That he protects me so well that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, everything is fit for my salvation. Right? So we say these things, and I know we could go on saying it, I want to just prepare you because what I'm about to talk about can be a little bit scary. Everybody say scary. Scary. All right. Now, we tell our children not to talk to strangers, right? Do we not? Andy, you tell your kids? Strangers pull up in your driveway and say, get in my black van with the tinted windows. Come on, babies, get in. What do you tell your kids, Andy? Don't do it. Don't do it. All right. We, when we go out on Deer Creek and we're enjoying the beautiful sunshine and we're having a nice time, what does mommy say if you're going to get on the boat? Put on your life jacket, jacket, right? Now you can see this as tainting their joy, but as uh, you know and you all understand, these things are necessary. Say, these things are necessary. necessary. There are monsters among us, folks, and they are real Dangerous currents running cold beneath our boats at Deer Creek. There are things that are worth being leery of and being prepared for. Okay? Now, butterflies still bounce from bloom to bloom in the warm sun. And mommy loves to kiss your rosy cheeks warm after you've been sledding. But we still must concern ourselves with what may intrude upon the lawns of our green shires and the summers of our life. We have good lives, right? God has blessed us. God has preserved us in many ways from the horrors that we have seen in many places. Now the Bible does not fail us here. It is filled with words, uh, shadowy as they sometimes are, about these very real and present dangers. Being in Myanmar where I... Uh, read as it, it may even sound wrong when I read it, but it does. I went back and read it again that some 20,000 people die every year of snake bite. Is that amazing? Wild tigers still stalk and eat people in Myanmar. Elephants carry logs, but some of their wild counterparts trample people they find in the forest. I thought they were joking with us one day. Nathaniel and I were walking and they're like, now be careful when the elephants come, you got to run because they'll kill you. And I was kind of like, 
Like, I think he's just playing with me, but they don't really joke about stuff like that in Myanmar because the elephants actually will kill you in Myanmar if you're not very careful because people have not been kind to elephants and elephants do not forget. And if they see people, they go and they trample you. Just like they go when they see little baby lions. What do they do? They go and they smash them on the ground. Why? Because they're, they've been attacked by lions before and they're, they're not really very fond of them. Being there has not only made me aware of those kinds of dangers that seem strange to me, but also aware of dangers of a different sort. The dangers of demonic forces are not fairy tales told by our brothers and sisters in Myanmar. And if you hear them talk, honestly, I have found myself so grown up and so sophisticated and so westernized that I sort of laugh a little bit about their stories that are obviously a little bit far-fetched about their demons and encounters with devils. I don't know how far-fetched they might be. Devils are as real as tigers. It may be tempting to think that as safe as we are in Ohio from tigers, we are safe from the works of the devil. But I think we may err in this if we uh, feel secure as though they are not here. Uh, Folks, devils live here just like they live anywhere else. Tigers don't live here. Unless they get out of the, you know... The zoo where they get out of a home in Lancaster that has 80 of them. You know how that happened not too many years ago. Now, I'm not here today to conjure up fear in your hearts or the hearts of your children of boogie monsters under your beds. As much as I am soberly here to warn you of the deep currents that have swept many out of our lives and truly carried them off captive, never to be seen again. This is unpleasant business, but it is necessary business. You see, the Bible is clear that we are at war right now. And as we wage war to take our world back for the kingdom of God and wrest it from the hands of our enemies, we need to know who we are at war with. We need to know what weapons he fights with. And I know war is not a pleasant business, but it is the business of the kingdom of God. Our text, which tells us the story, uh, it tells the story uh, like the calming of the sea, we heard it last, last week about the calming of the Sea of Galilee. It happens before this. As he is there calming the sea and telling them to have faith, he then takes them to the shores where they encounter the devil. He's helping them to understand that not only do we need faith to help us from the fears of the sea, but fears of those things that walk in the tombs at night. Now, why is it that a graveyard is scary at night? Everybody say a graveyard is scary at nighttime. Now, now the Robinettes actually practically lived in a graveyard over on Hoover Road, and it didn't really scare me that much. Uh, and I would walk through the graveyard, but I don't really think that the kind of graveyard that we had over on Hoover Road, where there are little, you know, little eternal flames, and you know, it's right off the road, and you can see the glow of Kroger over here and CVS. You know, I don't think that that kind of a, 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 a an image is really what's being conjured here. We're talking about in dark places, and there are no lights and lanterns, and there are odd and scary things, and most people don't really want to go hang out there. But as we travel through the life of Jesus, we must deal with what Jesus dealt with. We can't pick and choose what to talk about. The Apostle Peter summed up much of the life of Jesus in this way in Acts chapter 10, verse 38. He was preaching to the house of Cornelius and he made a statement, Steve, kind of summing up what Jesus' life was all about. He says this, he went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the, everybody say the devil. 
Now, I am not a devil in the bushes guy who likes to talk about it and get people all frightened and get people scared. But at the same time, if you live your life ignoring that you have an enemy, you're probably going to have a hard time defeating him, right? Yeah. We need not only focus on the good deeds he did that John said would fill the whole world if we recorded them all, but we must face the fact that he spent just as much time confronting evil, confronting the devil and his fallen angels who do his bidding. My contention today is simple. The epic battle being waged by the subjects of Christ's kingdom is a battle against the devil and his demons and not against men. And I'm telling you right now, this is huge. Okay, if you if you go to sleep right now, if you don't listen to me, if you end up playing with your kids and whatever you do the rest of the sermon, I want you to understand this. We are not at war with people. We are at war with spiritual powers. Now, if you don't believe in spiritual powers, then that makes you think, well, we just must not be at war at all. Right. But the problem is, is we don't think we're at war at all. But when we do think we're at war, we think we're at war with people. And as a result, we hate people. And as a result, we don't forgive people. And as a result, we fight with people. And as a result, we wrestle with people. We do this in our homes. We do it in our churches. And we do it in our land. And when we fight people, the devil is pleased. Because then you leave your hands off of him. Men sinned. Man sinned. Adam and Eve, they gave away their power that God had given them. Now we may not be able to understand how he did this, but according to Paul, he became the God of this world. Now that's pretty serious. When the Bible calls somebody the God of this world, that's the word of God. Small G, there's only one big G God, amen? But the God of this world. And... um, 1 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 2 he calls him the God of this world in Ephesians chapter 2 he is called by Paul the prince of the power of the air that he had at that time virtually in ancient times unchallenged power over the world and I say virtually because we know that God thwarted Satan's power through the prophets many times among the children of Israel but this was extraordinary We also know the story of Job shows us plainly that Satan can do nothing that he does not have permission to do. But Satan is not and has never been sovereign, but he has had and he still has power. Does that, do you understand what I'm saying? We like to say he's nothing and we don't need to worry about him. And why should we take up one minute on a Sunday talking about him? Because Jesus did. Jesus talked about him. Jesus talked to him. Jesus dealt with him over and over and over again. And the Bible tells us that we are too. But we don't believe in the devil anymore. What is that? Was that Keith Green song? You know that Keith Green sings this song. I've done, I've done my good work here. They don't believe in me anymore. I mean, when you're dealing with... If you got raccoons uh, getting your trash all over your yard... And eating all your dog's food and all that. But you don't believe in raccoons. You're never going to catch them. Right? You're never going to deal with them. You're you're just going to say, well, the wind blew my trash cans over. Well, there are real raccoons and there are real devils. All right? He is not a sovereign, but he does have power. Before Christ, his power was very well known, if not by his own name. 
Ancient history is replete with magic, great spiritual power, gods and goddesses, witches and sorcerers. And I don't think that this was all made up in sensationalizing of history. I really think that the great fears that caused people to build the ziggurats and the pyramids and temples of the ancient world was not merely perceived power, but real, deadly, terrifying power. I think they lived in a world you can't even comprehend. They lived in a world of magic and spells and pain and difficulty and death that we don't live in today. And we read about history and we think, well, they made all that stuff up. I mean, you know, it makes for good reading and it sounds great. And they made up these gods and goddesses and all this kind of stuff. I'm telling you folks that if what God's word says is true, there's a real good chance that the stories in history, the ancient history that we read, that we think are fairy tales, were not fairy tales at all. It was more than ruling through made up fears and deceiving ignorant and superstitious people. Satan, the dragon, the devil was and is. A very real being and the other fallen angels, demons and devils with a small D and unclean spirits. You know how I know he was real, Jason? Jesus talked about him. Jesus called him by name and Jesus spent time with him. Now, if you read the Bible and you miss that and somehow, you know how when someone tells us something isn't true, even when we hear it said over and over, we just figure it's not Right? Someone tells you dragons are made up, and every time you hear a story about a dragon, you go, well, yeah. You're hearing the words about the dragon and the fire breathing and all that going on, but, but you're, you're sure that it's all made up anyway, and so it's all an allegory or a fanciful story or it represents something. You never really think about an actual dragon that you know, Beowulf had to deal with. If you, if you haven't read Beowulf and been just excited by the whole thing, you, know, you, should, you should try that out this week sometime. One of my very favorite books ever, uh, ancient works, Beowulf. Great, great, great book. Now, before Christ, from the very first chapters of the first book of the Bible, we learn about our enemy. I mean, God creates the world. He creates everything. He creates man. And what's the first thing that happens? Who is there in the tree? Talking to Eve. I mean, we know God talks to him, but all of a sudden there he is. And we go, well, you know, that was then. I mean, that was kind of like, a, you know, you go over to Answers in Genesis and you can see the tree and he's in the tree, you know. And, and you know, it was kind of like, it's almost like a symbol. It's not like a symbol. It, there's a real tree and a real devil in the tree in the form of an animal. So here we have a, the devil living inside an animal's body. Now, have, you, have any of you even thought about this? So you got the devil living in a serpent. Where does Jesus cast these animals into? Where do they, where do they ask to go? Into what? An animal. Now, I don't know. I don't even know what to do with that information. I mean, it kind of makes me want to get my dog out of my house. I don't know. I don't know. The devil lives in animals somehow and he lives in people. You know... Here's one thing that you have to resist the temptation of. The Bible doesn't tell us so much about these things that when people definitively talk about them and come up with these insane conclusions, you can do eye rolls at those people. Because this is all extremely mysterious. We don't understand how this works. We don't understand the rules. We're not going to get into the rules of the devil and how if you wear garlic around your neck, you're going to be all right. Okay, that's not what's coming next, just in case you're wondering. Okay? Nobody needs to get out their, you know, their silver bullets or their, you know, crosses or whatever and and all that nonsense. All right. Now, he is a serpent in the garden. He's possessing an animal. In Genesis 3, we hear the proto gospel, the curse and the promise to one day crush his head. 
So the, the story of mankind is framed with the devil in it. I was, I was telling this to the people in Myanmar because I was trying to explain something to them. But, you know, I think you guys might benefit. I had one of the young people draw on the whiteboard this beautiful scene of a house and with trees and, and, and whatever and these people. And I said, so God is the artist and God has painted this picture. But now what you think is you think God's in the picture. So you're worried that when the devil does something as if somehow something in the picture can come out and get you. All right. You can draw the scariest picture you want. Is anybody afraid of the picture you've drawn that it can come and get you? Of course not. You can reach up and here's what we did. We went and we erased. There were these people and they had guns and they had bow and arrows. and they had. So we just erased them. They were gone. And then we turned this bad guy. We put a nice face on him and we took his horns off and we made him into a good guy. And we were, and we were seeing the beauty of the power of God. God is telling a story and the story is about him. But he isn't in the story in the sense that somehow he's threatened by it. Okay, now we're in the story, right? And so when we see the guys with the guns and the bows and arrows and we see a dragon, we would be well to pay attention to what we see in front of our faces. But God's not afraid of it and God's not in battling with the devil. There's no great war going on between the devil and between God and we're wondering who's going to win. Folks, that's been settled a long time ago. That's over. The devil has absolutely uh, no power that threatens God in any way, shape, or form. He is a defeated foe. He's already lost, but he is there and he is doing something. But we should talk about what he's doing. During the Christ life, after Jesus baptized, after Jesus is baptized by John, what happens next? You guys remember? The Spirit drives Jesus out into the wilderness to be, it says, tempted of the devil. Now, I mean, come on. This is a pretty important part of his life. He's about to begin his ministry. So God begins the ministry of Jesus with the devil. Now, when you read about this, I mean, it almost sounds like a casual encounter, but it's kind of like a repeat of what happened in the Garden of Eden, right? So here Jesus is. Jesus, the second Adam, the Bible tells us, is here. And he's here to do something good. And so the devil shows up. The devil shows up where God's people are. He doesn't, he doesn't go, you know, God, he doesn't go hang out at the bar run by the road saints or the hell's angels and revel it up and live it there. The devil would like to be right in here right now. The devil would love to be in your home. The devil likes to stand right next to what God is doing to see how he can affect that. In fact, the Bible tells us uh, in the Old Testament, Joshua is, is uh, acting as high priest and one of the uh, great archangels is with him and it says, and there Satan was, standing at his other side, accusing him before God, saying, you know, that Joshua, I mean, he's a, he's, he's a bad guy to pick for this. I mean, he, I mean, you know, all the doubts and fears he's had and all the difficulties he had and, and the whole while he's hearing all these accusations, God's hearing them about Joshua. And so what does the archangel do? He rebukes him. And he doesn't even rebuke him. This is even referred to later. He doesn't just come out and tell him to shut up. He said, hey, I adjure you by the Lord to keep your mouth shut. You know? So here Jesus is dealing with Satan. And if you read through this in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1, Jesus led of the spirit of the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. The devil was performing a function. Everybody say, the devil is a tool. Now you might go, Oh, come on. Folks, the devil is a tool. The Spirit of God drove Jesus in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. The devil performs a necessary function. 
And he is a tool of God. If we remember, Paul says that here I was, I've been called, I've had, I've, I've seen things no man has ever seen. I've been called up into the third heaven. I've been, you know, uh, killed and risen from the dead and stoned and all these things. And my life has been so touched by the amazing things of God that God sent a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I would be lifted up in pride. Everybody say, Satan is a tool. You see, Paul, even though he was praying, God, make this thing go away, make this thing go away. God let him know that thing that was there was the devil, but it was the devil sent by me. Now, you know what? I can handle the devil sent by God. When I say I can handle it, I can, I can, under, I can say, okay, if there's, if there's a devil in my life and in my way, like the messenger of Satan sent to buffet me, well, then thanks be to God, I probably need it. The devil... It says, takes him up into the holy city, sets him on the pinnacle of the temple. Now, when you read about what he does and he takes him to a high place, the devil is powerful. Everybody say the devil's powerful. I know. I I don't even like saying it myself. I just like to think he's a little weasel. We can step on him. We can kick and he's no big deal. But he takes the Lord of heaven, Jesus Christ, and he's flying him around through the air. I don't know exactly how this happened, but he was certainly doing it. You see, angels are incredibly powerful. To call them a tiger or a lion and and even compare them to that is foolishness. I'm doing it to kind of get our mind sort of, you know, in there. But I mean, yeah, and Peter even talks about him like a lion. But you have to understand, he's a lot more powerful than that. You see, when one angel came to deal with Israel, a hundred thousand people died, right? Right? Angels are powerful and and the devil is a fallen angel. All right. So he takes Jesus up to the pinnacle of temple in verse five In eight. He takes him up to exceeding high mountain. He shows him the kings of the the world and he offers them to Jesus. And you might go, well, you know, I mean, that was no big deal. Folks, the devil doesn't make deals that he can't keep. And the devil was offering Jesus the kingdoms of this world because he had them to offer You see, he was in charge. And the Bible tells us that he was. He was in charge of things. Now, do we know how that works? And can we get it all into it? Are we going to go into demonology and get it all? It's not in there. You can't. If you think you can nail all that down, then you've got something other than the Bible. Because the Bible is very unclear about this. But it is clear that he offered power to Jesus and he apparently had it to offer. That he did things that were extraordinary and supernatural, and he did it. And you say, oh, he only did it with the man Christ Jesus. Folks, we are the sons of God, right? And we are those, the light of the world, who are supposed to be going forth doing greater things than Christ did. And if you think the devil isn't there in your life and present, trying to stop you, trying to tempt you, trying to lead you astray, you are sadly mistaken. In fact, I think he was at my house today. And maybe not him, but someone that works for him. Trying to cause division. He's probably, how many think he might have been at your house today? Trying to get you not to come to church. Trying to get you to fight with your husband and wife. Trying to get you to fight with your sister. And what he does is he operates in causing division and confusion and irritation. He likes to be what, like the fly in the ointment. He doesn't like the fact that we're gathered together and that we're not afraid of him. He doesn't like the fact that he's going to lose. But Paul tells us not to give place to him. So how do we do that? How are we giving place to the devil? We do it all the time. I hadn't really wanted to get right into the imperative, but I'll just get right into it. 
He comes to you and, and okay, are you guys ready to listen? Because I, I, I am going to tell you something I think that, that's going to make some difference in your life. And I may get back to this and I may not. All right, you ready? Because I think we don't understand this. The Bible says we should not be ignorant of his devices. He's got little plans. He's got traps. Our kids found this trap in the woods the other day set. And I'm trying to explain to my kids, this is what he does. He finds something in you. He finds that you're sick and you got a headache. He finds that you don't feel well. He finds that you think your sister's prettier than you. He thinks that you think you're fat. He gets to where you think you're not important and people don't like you. And he knows all that stuff about you. Right? He gets Kirsten and she's in her situation. He comes to you and he goes, Kirsten, you know people at your church, they don't care about you. That's what he does. Now Kirsten can go, yes, they do. Shut up and leave me alone. Or she can go, that's right. You know, she never even shook my hand. Right? And that's what he does. He accuses. How many of you get mad at what people actually do? Or do you get mad at why you think they did it? Right? Because you know what they do, but that person, you know, and, and I've experienced this, you know, and, and I've, I know I've shared this with the church, but I'll share it again. The person going down the road, they cut you off, and you, and why are you mad? Were you that inconvenienced? Did they get five seconds ahead of you? You're not, right? What are you mad about? Come on. I want, to, I want it to just come right out of your spirit right now. What is it that you say? He thinks he owns the road. He doesn't care about anybody. Blah, 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 blah. Isn't that what we do? Right? What are we doing? We are accusing this person. And when, you know, there was a simple thing that happened in in my heart and my life that that really changed that for me. My mother-in-law told me, she said when her second son, Nathan, died, she went into a store to buy a picture frame. And she said there were all these people. It was a busy day. She had to buy a picture frame to put a, a picture on her son's coffin. Now... How many of you want to be the one pushing her out of the way that day? Can she stop and explain to everyone, hey, I'm here at Hallmark to buy a frame for my dead son's coffin? No, right? But let's say she did. Let's say she walked right in and she pushed you out of the way. And you knew she was carrying the pain that she's just lost a second son in a few months of her life. And she's in horrible, wretched pain. And she needs to get this dumb, stupid frame and go to the thing because she's got to put a pain. If you knew that about her, how would you feel about her shoving your face into a wall when she walked by? How many of you go, you can shove my face? Come on, raise your hand. You know what the devil does, Paul? He goes up to you and he says, do you know why they did that? They did that because they can't think about anybody but themselves. And you know what we do? We go, yeah, that's right. And you might go, oh, he doesn't do that. I am telling you, that's his primary role. He comes to you and says, you know, your mom and dad, they don't care about you like they care about your other sister, Anna. Your favorite. I mean, she's playing the violin in the back room and she's learning to play piano. Oh, daddy loves her. That's what the devil does. That's all he does. He can't hurt you. He he can't pull lightning bolts down. He can't throw a chain on you. He can't wreck your world. But he can get at you. And he does. All right, we may get back to that, okay? How many people want the devil to be a tool for them and for God or how many of you want to be, a, be his little tool? I don't want to be his tool. And I'm telling you what, I get used by the devil. Now, th- maybe this doesn't happen to you, Derek. 
Do you ever walk around your house and something pops into your mind to say, and you think to yourself, I probably shouldn't say that. If I say that, you know, no, I don't, maybe your house isn't like mine, but just, just pretend for a minute it is. If I say that, it's going to send Becky just spinning every which way, you know, and, 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 but something in you, you know, something in you, I can tell you what it is. It's the devil. And you go, well, is he possessing? No, he's not possessing you. He, he gives you these very interesting suggestions. <laughs> and we, and, and we just do it and we do it and we say, you know, it'd be nice if, you know, our kids wore shoes to church today. Right. And it brings up like the, the most embarrassing time when Ben showed up not wearing shoes to church and you know, it really bothered her and she felt like a horrible mother and she really felt like she let you down as a wife. And so you throw that up to, you know, you make a little joke. Just, it's always oh, just being funny. Right. Right. <laughs> what happens next? And you're like, oh, well, I was, and what, what do we always say? When, once we do the bidding of the devil and we see the person spinning out of control in rage and anger and we've done, we've done his work for him, what do we always go? I was just kidding. <laughs> right? I'm just joking around. No big deal. Right? I mean, I can't believe you got so upset. You knew before they said it. You knew before the word spoke out of your mouth that you were like pulling a pin on a grenade. So Jesus, he comes. Now, what he came to do in our text is he came to show them that their faith was not only against these fears of natural things like the darkness, like water, like uh, storms and lightning. I mean, these are pretty scary things, but I'm going to give you, I'm going to take you to a whole nother fear. Now, you know, Christy, you weren't here. We're talking about storms and I'm like, I wish she was here. You know, how scary is a storm? She's seen it, the whirling, swirling things that are flying through the air, right? But then make it nighttime, and then make it on the water, and then make it in a little boat. You're scared, right? This is all just stuff. But now you have the fear of these other things, of the scary things we can't see, right? I mean, I'm scared of a lot of things and whatever, you know, but there are some things that are a whole lot more scary. And so these people, the tombs at night, a man, a vicious man that can't be, he's so superhuman strong that he rips chains off his body. And one account tells us that he's naked. Can you picture this? That he cuts himself with stones and he's naked and he rips things off and he lives in the tombs and people are afraid to go there. Now, I think they're sort of, they're saying this, but I mean, can you picture this? A picture of time when there aren't cars to be safe in, okay? And, and you're just got to walk down certain roads and you got to walk through. My dad used to have to walk through a covered bridge on the way home. And he never liked to do that when it got dark. wonder why that is. Because we're scared of the dark is why that is. And we're scared of what? We're scared of the boogeyman, right? What else is there to be scared of but the boogeyman, right? So this man... Out of the tombs. He had an unclean spirit living in the tombs. No man can bind him. He's often bound with fetters, chains, chains that were plucked asunder. Superhuman strength. This guy's scary. He runs up at Jesus. It didn't say, and Jesus jumped back in the boat. And Jesus was terrified. And Jesus didn't know what to do. Jesus just calmly says, come out. 
And then proceeds, and this is absolutely baffling to me, but maybe I might be onto something. Jesus has a conversation with the devil, and, 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 and then the devil gives its name. Now, seriously? You might go, well, we, you know, there, there's only one name. Folks, do you know there are more than one name to some of these demons in the Bible? Do you guys remember Daniel praying? Daniel is praying and Gabriel comes to him. And I read, I read this all again just to make sure I hadn't gone crazy. Gabriel comes to Daniel in Daniel chapter 10 and say, Gabriel, I'm really glad that you've been praying. You started praying 21 days ago and fasting. And from the very day, God heard your prayer and I was sent. But this person, this demon, this archangel, this something named the prince of Persia prevented me. And I wouldn't have been able to make it, but Michael showed up. And you might go, now, come on, now, this is a little bit silly, right? So Michael deals with the prince of Persia and allows Gabriel, but then Gabriel goes, I have to leave now, and I got to go fight the prince of Persia. And I'm reading this story, and I'm thinking, this is really, this is something that's amazing. And he says, and then when I'm gone, there's, a, there's, a, there's one that's coming for you, Daniel, and he's the prince of Greece. So you did good, your prayer, but just so you know, he's coming. That's a little scary, right? Jesus has a conversation with Legion with somehow thousands of these demons living inside of the human body. When Matthew tells the story, Matthew says there's two people there, two men who were filled. I mean, what's scarier than one super strong guy who can't be bound with chains, who's naked and running through the tombs and ready to come out of the dark and rip your face off? I mean, what's more scary than one guy? How about two? Right? If you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to see the movie, what is it? It, What's that? The Ghost in the Darkness? Right? About these two male lions that were real that killed all these people and they killed just for sport. And dealing with one lion, a hunter always knew what to do, but dealing with two is a whole other matter. They're trying to fight the lion. While he's got a beat on it, the other lion's got a beat on him and he eats him. Right? The devil is a scary thing. And this situation was scary, but it didn't frighten Jesus. Jesus had calmed the storm and he knew you know when he came off the boat on the other side do you remember what the last thing that it, it right before this in in the, in our study it says that they were amazed saying to themselves what manner of man is this that even the wind and waves obey him and he's wanting to let them know that not only do wind and waves and storms obey me but the devil which has scared people to death for thousands of years of our history that devil i'm not scared of him either now, that doesn't mean there isn't one, right? But I'm not scared of him. And so he tells him what to do. And that we can get into the deep exegetical points of every little part of this and we can get into it. But I think the broader point needs to be made for us here and now that the devil is real and that he has real power, but that he's, his power is subject to Christ and all that we need to fear is God. Amen? But we need to be aware of the devil's devices. Okay? Later in the gospel, Jesus sent out the 70. We had, uh, Andy, read it for you today, the sending out of the 70. Now, of all the things they were told, what were they told? Behold, I give you power, right? You guys know the scripture, right? Behold, I give you power over serpents and scorpions. And everybody say, all the power. All the power of the enemy, right? But they go he, and they get back. 
But when they get back, Jesus takes them out to the Mount of Transfiguration, some of them, and they get to see uh, Elijah, and they get to see Moses, and, and all this stuff. And now they're really feeling powerful, and they go out and they deal with a little boy. And he's filled with the devil, and he can't hear, and he can't speak. But they can't do anything with him. Jesus said, well, you don't have enough faith. This one, this one's a hard one to deal with. So we don't understand a lot about demons and devils, but we have the understanding through Scripture, through the story of Christ, and through all of the Bible, that some of them are worse than others. Some of them are more powerful than others. When I hear them talk about this in Myanmar, I think they're being pretty funny. I'm like, oh, really? And they're like, yeah, we like to, de- we like to appease the ones that aren't so bad, and they kind of fight off the bad ones. And I'm like, I'm like, you people are a bunch of ignorant natives who, you know, obviously have been just dominated by your superstition. Really? So their theology sort of matches up. There are some demons that are worse than others. There are some that are more powerful than others. There are some that are more difficult to deal with than others. And they seem to know about this in Myanmar. The average Christian wouldn't really know that. They'd just say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. We're Christians and they're all good. Well, the disciples who had been given power, the 70 that had been given power, they couldn't deal with it even with the power they were given. They needed a little more. Now, this is fascinating. I can't get into all of it. I don't even understand it. But we read it, right? And Jesus says it this. I'll read it right. He says this. And the disciples came. They saw the great multitude. The scribes questioning straightway. All the people beheld. They were greatly amazed. They were running. They saluted. One of the multitude answered, Mancer, I brought uh, uh, my son. He has a dumb spirit. Now, what on earth is that? It wasn't stupid. It was a spirit that kept someone from being able to talk. And they, and, and, and the, and the demon takes his body, it tears him, he foams at the mouth, he gnashes and bites things with his teeth. He, it's, it's terrifying for us. I went to the disciples and here you had given them power and here they can't even do anything with it. Jesus says, faithless generation, how long will I be with you? How shall I suffer you? Bring him to me. They brought him to him, and when they saw him straightway, the spirit tore him. He fell on the ground, he wallowed on the ground, and he foamed. How long ago since these came? He said, it's been a child. Since he was a child, it's been oftentimes in his body and doing this to him. Folks, can you imagine this? Oftentimes, he threw himself in a fire, in the water. Spirit of suicide upon him. Can you do anything? Have compassion on us. Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible. Straightway, the father of the child cried out and said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Jesus saw the people came running together. He rebuked the foul spirit. And if you might say, well, they had it wrong. They didn't realize what it was. That's what they called it. No, Jesus, it says right here. He said, thou dumb and deaf spirit. I charge you, come out of him and enter no more into him. The spirit cried, it rent him sore, it came out of him. And he was like a dead man on the ground inasmuch that people said he must be dead. Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up and he arose. And when he was coming to the house, the disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we do this? This kind only comes forth. Nothing but prayer and fasting is going to deal with this. I think the Bible teaches us, and I, 
Well, I don't. I, my notes are are very extensive. I'm paid. Uh, I'm like halfway through them, and I've got a lot more I want to say. The Bible says that Jesus looked at Peter, and what did he say to him? Do you guys remember this? Here he is saying, "I've got to be." You know, I, I'm going to be crucified, and he says, "Oh no, not you! No way!" Jesus looks at Peter, and he says. Satan, thou art an offense to me. Give thee behind me, Satan. And you might go, well, now, that wasn't nice. He's calling Peter. He's not calling Peter, Satan. He's dealing with where it's coming from. And all of this sounds like Bible stories until it happens in your home, Steve. Till someone says something that causes you, you know what God's called you to be and called you to do. And the enemy will speak right to you, right through someone else. And they know what to say. You th- they're not stupid. And they're powerful and they're smart and they're clever. And we need not to be ignorant that they're doing it. Folks, we so much. We get to where, oh, we, so sister so-and-so in our church has hurt my feelings so bad and and this thing and love, you know, I'm telling you, I, I believe this. And don't think I've gone universalist crazy. I believe that most everyone in this church loves the Lord, wants to serve God, and wants to be a blessing to the other people of this church. I, I, I don't believe you, you know, yes, you're sinners and all that kind of stuff. But I don't think anybody intentionally is sitting around going, what kind of trouble can I cause today? That when you sin and when you do wrong, you feel the pain and the guilt of it. And what people would like you to do is that sister that's always bitter and nasty and driving everybody crazy. You'd just like to think it's all about her. And the deal is, is that this sister or this brother is weak and given place to the devil. And the things they say to you that make you go, oh, I can't believe they said that to me. Can you believe that? Can you believe what they said to me? Honey, do you know what she said today? When that happens... Go, I don't think she said anything. I think she's sick. She's not feeling well. She's having a difficult time. The devil's got in there and he's been talking to you. He is accusing her of what the Bible says she's not guilty of. Did you know that nobody in this, when we stand before the Lord, are we going to be held account for our sins? That we are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. You know that? That when we stand before the God, God, and I've heard this said, and, and it almost doesn't sound right. You know, remember when you did this and, and God's going to say, I know, I know. Right. I mean, you ever heard anybody say that? You're going to go, remember that sin that I committed and God's going to say, no. Oh, God doesn't forget. The Bible says that our sins are removed from us. Never to be remembered. Everybody say never to be remembered against us anymore. Why would Jesus tell us that we should forgive our brother 70 times seven? Why would he do that? Because the devil over and over again uses these things in our life. In Ephesians, when Paul is going through the imperatives in chapter 4 and chapter 5 and chapter 6, he's telling them what to do. He's telling brother, he's telling mothers and fathers how to deal with your children. He's telling husbands and wives how to deal with each other. He's telling us how to deal with people uh, in, in, in business with each other. Why is he going into all of this? Because it gives place to the devil. Um, Foundation Farms Enterprises is doing business with the narwhals. You know how you give, you know how you give place to the devil? You just say, well, we're brothers and we love each other and it's all going to work out and we write nothing down. Because the devil comes to you and goes, you know what? 
Steve, that old Josh, he's stingy. And I mean, you've seen Caitlin, she's a penny pincher. You know what? They're gonna, they want you, they don't want you to have nothing. They want to get every dollar for themselves. That's what the devil comes and says. And then the devil comes to Josh and goes, that old Steve, I mean, he's got this bouncy house company. He's probably rich over there. And, and he's making all this money off of me and my family. And he's he's over there, you know, he's rolling in it. I'm telling you, it's the devil. That's ridiculous. We are filled with the Spirit of God where the people of God in heaven will be in heaven. All the stars and the sun and the moon is all going to go away. And God's already reserved heavenly places in Christ for us. We've been covered with the blood of Jesus Christ, right? None of us wants to hurt anybody or take advantage of anybody. We don't want to, but we do. And we sin against them, right? We need to be prepared for the devil That's why when it says neither give place to the devil, that's why we make a contract. That's why we prepare. We go, maybe we ought to have some rules and some expectations and let's figure this all out so that we don't what? Everybody say, give place to the devil. You see, Peter, Jesus came to Peter and he goes, you know, Satan has desired thee and would like to sift thee like wheat. And you're like, how does Jesus know this? He knows it as much as he came to Job, Right. Only in Job's case, God did it to Job. Hey, Satan, have you, have you seen Job? Andy, can you imagine? Do you remember when R.C. talked about this? He said, imagine one day if you knew when you were going to heaven. Like Job didn't understand this, but if you knew that God said, you know what? Hey, devil, I got this guy named Andy Cusel. He lives on London Road. Let me give you his address. It's like 12, 400, something like that, right? Right? 12900 London Road. He's discipling his kids. He loves God. He's planting an orchard. He believes the kingdom of God is going to come through Cusel apples. He, he's just, he's got a dog, you know, and, 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 and blah, blah. And, and, he, and he loves me so much. I'd like to see if you could get to him. I mean, if you knew that God had done that, don't you think you could deal with the tribulations that come your way a little bit better? Because this, this, this life is a fleeting little tiny thing here. It's a vapor that will pass. But we live like it's everything. We live like what happens here and how it happens here and what happens to me and our discomforts and our difficulties, that it's all here. Folks, it's not all here. This is the tip of the iceberg. It's the beginning of eternity for our lives. The devil is the tool of God. He is not God's arch enemy. God is trying to figure out how to outsmart folks. There's no, there's no, they come to Jesus in Matthew chapter 12 and they said, how is it that you cast these demons out? And Jesus gave them something and where, where's Stephen? Does Stephen get up? Is he, is he, all right. Because this is his favorite subject so far that I found out. If you want to talk, if you want to get Stephen all cranked up, start talking about the kingdom of God. All right, Matthew twelve. He says, "If it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God is come." How do we know the kingdom of God's come? When the demons are running that way from us. We know the kingdom of God is coming. And you might go, well, why, why, do, why do the people of Myanmar know more about demons than we do? Because the kingdom of God's come right here. 
We can sleep on a hammock out in our yard. We can, I mean, they can't have a fish pond with little fish in it without everybody coming and stealing from it. They live in fear constantly 24 hours a day over there. You can probably put gold bars on your front porch and probably nobody would bother them. Now, does that mean there aren't any thieves and bad people? There are, but I'm telling you, we've run some devils off. We've rooted them out of the land here. Now, they're coming back. But they aren't like they are over there. I can tell you that right now. If the Spirit of God, if I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Folks, the strong man, the devil, has been bound up. Do you guys remember what Jesus said? Do you remember when the, when the, when the, when the 70 came back? He said, behold, I saw Satan as lightning fall. You see, he used to be over the kingdoms of the world, but he isn't anymore. And he's still trying to hold posts. He's still trying to hold ground. Just like ISIS is still trying to hold Mosul. It's a, it's a, it's a foregone conclusion if they have to take it inch by inch and blow up every building and take up every bit of dirt from here all the way to I- Iran, right? They're going to do it. Probably, right? At least if Trump's telling the truth about what he wants to do. We're not going to let them live over there. We're going to root them out. We're going to cut them up by the roots. We'll dig in every hole they have. We'll fill all their holes up full of gasoline and we'll set them on fire. They will not uh, be, you know, blowing us up for here to eternity. We're going to deal with them. The strong man's house. The strong man must have be bound. Jesus came to bind the strong man of the world, and he did. Now, after his death and resurrection, some people say, oh, well, it's different because Jesus died. Really? The apostles, when Ananias and Sapphira sinned, asked them a question. What did he say? How has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost, right? Do you guys remember what happened to Judas as he was getting ready to betray Christ? What did it say? And Satan filled his heart. And he went out. Right? The seven sons of Sceva. Here they are going to try to cast out demons. And they say to the men, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And they beat the fire out of these guys and rip their clothes off. I thought after Jesus died, there's no more trouble. Folks, there's trouble. There's demons to be rooted out. There's ground to be taken. There's kingdom to be expanded. Like clearing the Canaanites out of the promised land, I believe the Bible teaches us to cast the devils out. Whenever we encounter them and we cast them out, uh, not with swords and not with spears. Ephesians deals with this and I'll try to, I'll try to wrap up with this and, and, and maybe I bit off more than I could chew here with, with what I'm trying to cover today and I apologize if I'm going too long. There's no clock on the wall and don't put one on there, but there's no clock on the wall. <laughs> Ephesians 1, wherefore I also, verse 15, I heard of your faith in the Lord and Jesus and love all the saints. Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. That the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. God wants to open our eyes. The eyes of our understanding be enlightened, right? What is it that we will see? Will we see like the servant of Elisha? Folks, when we gather together, we got to know that the angel of the Lord is encamped about us. There's nothing to fear. But that also reminds us that we're in war. Does that make sense to you? The eyes of our understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of your calling, what is the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints, what is, in great, what is his exceeding greatness of his power, by say his power. To us were to believe according to the working of his mighty power, right? When he went in Matthew 28, all power, by say all power. 
All power is given unto me. Go into all the world. What? We're driving them all out. We're not just going into Canaan land. All power is given to me in all the world. Go in all the world and do it, right? He said, we've got power. Jesus told the 70, behold, I give you power to tread upon serpents, scorpions, and all the power of the enemy. He said that power which he wrought in Christ when he raised from the dead, he set him at his right hand in heavenly places. And Paul nails it out. And we don't like to hear it, but it is. 121 of Ephesians, if you don't believe me, far above all principality, power, might, dominion. And you go, oh, well, that's just the kings of the earth. Well, keep reading Ephesians and you'll find out that's not what he's talking about. You see, God sets up kings and he brings kings down. He sets governments up and he brings them down. But the way that he roots out the principalities of the world is that we try, Christ triumphed over them, but we got to go root them out. That's our job. That's what we get to do. Far above all principality, power, might, rule, dominion, every name that is named, not only in this world, but that which is to come, hath put all things under his feet, gave him to be the head over all things in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. He then further defines it right as it begins the next chapter, the very next verse, Ephesians chapter 2. What were we? What was the state of the world then and what is it now? Starting out in verse 1, right after the verse I just read, chapter 2, verse 1. You have the quickened who are dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit which now, everybody say now. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. You see, it doesn't work in us anymore. And But the fact is that the prince of the power of the air is trying to assert his authority where it doesn't belong. He really does have power, but he needs to be cast out and cast down by us. Among whom also we had our conversation in the time past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling our desires of the flesh and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in his mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead, hath quickened us together with Christ. For by grace are we saved, right? He's doing this that in the age to come he might show his exceeding uh, kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. It goes on. Then in chapter 3, he said this. He's praying a prayer. You want a, you want a, a good example for a prayer? Read Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. He said, I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom all heaven and earth is named. And I pray God that he would uh, make himself known to you. And here's what he says. He said, unto me who am less than, this is 3.8. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints in the grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. Everybody say the mystery. Which has been hid from the beginning of the world. You see, the mystery hid from the beginning of the world is that the devil's in charge, that spiritual powers are real. And but when the kingdom comes, that all going to change, okay? From the beginning of the world hath been hidden God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Jesus Christ. God is saving the Jews and the Gentiles alike, not just part of the world, but the whole world. He prays for them that they might know better who Christ is and who now who they are he says now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power they say the power that works in us unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all worlds do a whole study on the book of Ephesians you'll understand this better Ephesians 4 Wherefore he ascended upon high, he led captivity captive, he gave gifts to men. Now that he ascended, what is it first that he descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He descended is the same that ascended upon high, that he might fill all things. 
And he goes on and he explains what this is about. Folks that believe that the devil ever had any keys, that he ever decided that anybody went to heaven or hell, those people are wrong. You know what I read, honey? Do you know who started that? It started in 1980 by an apostolic church. And it spread like wildfire. Yeah, Jesus, it says in Revelation 1, has the keys of death, hell, and the grave. But he didn't go get them from the devil. The devil never had them. You understand that? The devil never decided anybody was going to hell. He never decided anybody was going to heaven. He never had that kind of power, and he never will. Jesus had it, and when he satisfied the righteousness of God by his sacrifice, when he laid down his life for us and triumphed over the devil by becoming a righteous man in the world, yeah, he had the keys of death and hell, but those keys were never uh, in the hands of the devil. You'll never read anywhere in the Bible where the devil ever had him or, or he ever had to wrestle with the devil. There's no wrestling with the devil. The, Satan could come and he could tell Jesus the man all kinds of things, but Jesus has all power. And Michael the archangel can one-handedly hold a chain in one hand and the other hand bound up the devil, put him in a bottomless pit. You can read about that in Revelation as well. Ephesians 6 ends this way, and I'm, I'm trying to close, I'm sorry. Finally, aren't you glad we're at the word finally? Don't let it fool you, okay. <laughs> finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Paul has just explained to them all the stuff I've been telling you. It's all in the book of Ephesians. He's explaining to them who they are. Who are you? You're God's people. You are the ones who are going to triumph over the principalities and powers of this world. You've got to do this. He says, but finally, let me explain to you how to do it. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of whose might? His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against Barack Obama, the Green Party, the, so, the communist evil people, Hitler. No. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the powers might put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Everybody say the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not. We wrestle not. We wrestle not. Say we wrestle not. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Okay? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So we might go, oh, we're not wrestling with them. I mean, that's all over and done with, right? What's Paul's admonition here for? If it isn't so. We wrestle not with flesh and blood, but we do wrestle with these folks. How are you going to deal with them, Steve? You better put on the whole armor of God, what you better do. That you may be able to stand with the evil day and having done all to stand, stand having your loins girt about with truth. Having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith wherewith you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take the helm of the salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the world of God. Everybody, Satan is not a conqueror anymore. He has been conquered. In fact, he is only being used by a tool of God and the church. I'll close with this one last thought. (laughs) Finally, my brethren. I was trying to explain this to my kids when when you might be saying, why why is Mark saying the devil is a tool of God? Why is Mark saying that? What does the Bible say we do when people in our church get out of line and they won't repent? What are we supposed to do? We're to love them and to keep dealing with them and forgive them. But eventually, what do we got to do? We got to excommunicate them. 
And I read this to my kids. Uh, one of my kids was like, what? I was reading this today. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that we are to put such an one out of our church so that Satan can teach them that they ought to straighten up. That we are sending them out there for the devil to destroy their body that their souls might be saved. You might go, now that's some crazy theology. It's right in the Bible. And when we don't read it and we ignore it, we do not teach the whole counsel of God. As I told you before, Paul even understood in the moment in time that he had to face the fact that God was not answering his prayer. I mean, here you have a guy that's you know been raised from the dead, you know, being stoned. I mean, he you know he's he's experienced all the stuff. He's been to the third heaven. and He's praying, and God's not answering his prayer. Wouldn't that be confusing for you, Sam? Be very confusing. God's done all these things for you. You keep praying for God to. This, this bad eyesight or this affliction that he has, whatever his problem is here, God, help me out. And God doesn't do it. God, he, he prays and prays it. God doesn't do it. And he says, you know, I've sent this messenger of Satan to buffet you, lest you be lifted up in pride. And God told me this, hey, my grace is sufficient for you. You don't need healed. You need the messenger of Satan. That's rough stuff, but that's what it says. He says that my strength is made perfect in weakness. How many want to sign up to be weak? None of us want to be. But sometimes some of us are just too strong. And our strength needs to be tamed. And God uses the devil to do that. And you might go, I I don't understand it. Folks, I don't understand it either. But it does say it in the scriptures. Now, the devil is the tool of God, but how many of you would like to stop being the tool of the devil himself? I sure would. Can you try this week? And, and try, I know we, we don't believe in the devil pretty much. I know we don't. We never see him. We, don't, we, we think he's sort of made up. Would you try to listen this week? When you get that thought in your head of the thing to say to Patty, and you go ahead and say it, that's, what, that's why the Bible tells us when we hurt people, we should go to them. We should ask their forgiveness. We should try to make things right. Why? You talk about shutting the mouth of the devil. They're over there going, they don't care about me. And blah, 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 blah. And you come and go, you know, I love you. Wow. You know, they don't blah, 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 blah. And then they come to you and go, you know what? I, I, I was a booger. I, I was nasty. I'm so sorry. I don't want to be like that. And you go, man, she's not so nasty after all. Huh? All the while the devil's been going, she's nasty. You know what? We, you, the day will come when she's gone and you'll be so happy. And you're going, yeah, that's right. Folks, I'm telling you, you should cherish every person in this room and every person in your family and God's people. You should refuse to allow to, you to be used to the devil to either speak to them or allow your heart to be filled with trouble because of things they do. I can't believe he did that. I can't believe he said that. I know why he did that. Blah, 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 blah. That's all I'm telling you. I believe, and I might be wrong. I don't think that's just coming from a sinful flesh. I think it's coming because the devil's clever enough to give us real, real good ideas, real thoughts, real words to say. And I think that's why the Bible says we should be slow to speak and slow to wrath. For the, for the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. What would happen if we just decided to lay we Steve isn't going to make me mad anymore. I know he's trying to be the best husband he can. And I know he loves us. And I know he loves the children. And I know when I get mad and I tell Steve, 
Steve, you just think nothing about yourself. It like kills him, right? Puts him in his place, doesn't it? You know what? That's a place we all could be put in. If God read our thoughts and our hearts, wouldn't we be humiliated at how sinful we are? We know he does, but if he just put it all out there for everyone to know, we'd just be like, let us be compassionate. Let us be forgiving. Let us be forbearing. Let us, when we sin, let us go to people. Let us, when we've been sinned against, let's go to people. Can we do it, church? All right. In the same way that that maniac of Gadara, as they call him, was sitting in his right mind, clothed, and he wanted to go. He wanted to go with the disciples. This, is a, this was actually a little hard thing for me to deal with too. Jesus didn't let him go. I thought everybody who wanted to get on the boat with Jesus could, but that, I guess not. Jesus said, you should go and tell people what good things I've done for you. Why don't we go about doing good, healing all that are oppressed of the devil, refusing to be the tool of the devil, refusing to listen to his accusations of our brothers and sisters. Amen? Aren't you glad God doesn't listen to the accusations he brings about us? Because you know what the truth is, Jason, is his accusations he brings about us are true. They're unthankful. They're spoiled. They're self-centered. They're every bit of that. Yeah, that's right. That's what I am. Someone said they looked at the devil one time after he was accusing them of, and he said, you know what? I'm, I'm even worse than that. <laughs> See, he can't read our minds. He's not everywhere. He's not sovereign, but he is there and we should pay attention and not be his tool. Let's pray. Heavenly father, we love you. We thank you for giving us this in your word. In many ways, I was reluctant even to talk about it. I hate to give him even five minutes of my time, but I read in your word that you did. And so I want to be faithful to our congregation. Lord, help us not to be ignorant of his devices, to fall prey to his accusations that he makes to us about each other, that we would refuse to speak the words he puts in our minds about our brothers and sisters that bring division in our churches and our families. Oh God, help us to be slow to speak and slow to wrath. Help us to know that when we speak, let it be the oracles of God. Let our conversation as it becomes, oh, be the gospel. Be your love, be your mercy. May we, as that maniac of Gadara, may you gave him his repentance. Wasn't just going to sit at the feet of Jesus for the rest of his life, but you sent him to go spread the good news of what you had done for him. Lord, may that be what's on our lips, the good news of what you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said, Amen. Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.